Romans chapter 10 this morning. We're going to have a little apple pie talk, believe it or not. Even this morning, Romans chapter 10, our text will be found in verses 5 through verse 13 as we continue on our, our study in the book of Romans. The time for truth is now. My goal, our goal together has been what? Learn about salvation, true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my prayer has been, as I hope it is yours every single Sunday morning that you get up and come to church, is that we have an increased sense of awe. This has not led us this morning, that we come away with our affections having been stirred to a greater appreciation and, Lord willing, a greater understanding of the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Good morning. I greet you in the name of that one, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beautiful, beautiful day out there today. And you have chosen the right thing to be here rather than snuggled under the covers. You came out in the cold, in the wet, in the rain to worship. And God delights, delights in your presence this morning. The how of salvation. We're going to look at the work of Christ. And Paul's going to teach us how right standing with Christ is both accessible and available. We've been wrestling through some difficult subjects when it comes to salvation. We've talked about the, the what? Justification, sanctification, glorification, the who. That's the difficult doctrines to digest. But here we look at how this is accessible to us. How salvation is made available. How our faith is made real. Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we read the word of God this morning? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. We thank you. In your mercies that are new today, you have allowed us to gather such as we have to lift up our voices, to, to learn, Lord, how we can do more in response to your goodness and grace to us in our worship and our outreach. We thank you for the faithful, faithful provision, the faithful sacrifice of this body for the work that you've called us all to. And now our prayer for a few moments is your word is open before us. Lord, please reveal yourself. Help our awe, our sense of awe to increase through this time. Please, Lord, please, I plead, please help me not to do anything that would distract or take from. May you be the one who is the focus this morning. May you be heard and seen. <clears throat> As heads are bowed, I do, Lord, think specifically of those who have heaviness of heart for whatever reason, and there are multiple, many, many reasons. Lord, only you can minister. Yes, you delightfully choose to use us to pour into one another's life. <clears throat> Help us to be faithful and obedient, but Lord, may your spirit minister to us, and may we sense that. We love you. I love you. I thank you, Lord, for your love for us. May you be glorified in your name we pray. All of these things. Amen and amen. Romans chapter 10, verse 5. The word 
of the Lord. <clears throat> For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live them by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who, who will ascend into heaven? That, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I am gaining in my appreciation and I'm learning how to cook. It's rough. But for some reason, there is a, a sense of joy, a sense of satisfaction to that. And Wendy and I often will we'll choose to cook a meal together, and we enjoy that time. But what's interesting is that Wendy is a follow-the-recipe gal. And, and I, I tend to let the recipe kind of like, slide away at times. And so my, my thinking is that keep the basics, but I like to veer left or right. Maybe a little bit more of this, a little bit less. Who, who, who even knows what this is? We don't need that. One of the fun things is, is when the other person turns away, we always have a often, not always, often have a secret ingredient and as we eat, can you tell what the secret ingredient is? And it's fun. But, but I, have, I have found that you can only veer so much, right? What do we teach? You, you, you have to have apples in order to make an apple pie. Likewise, when it comes to our faith, there are certain ingredients that are absolutely essential. When one speaks of their faith in Jesus Christ, it must include emphasis. It must include three things. The first one this morning we will learn is this, in understanding in your mind. Now I'm going to bookend our text by looking first and foremost at verses 5, 6, and 7, but then actually 12 and 13. So kind of the, the, the bookends. We have to have, if we're going to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's got to begin, there has to be at some level an understanding in our minds. Now be assured, this is not total understanding, okay? We'll never totally, we see through a glass dimly. But it has to be understanding, and what I would call steps, taking steps towards it. 
Now, there is such a thing as what? A childlike faith. We know that. Faith like a child. But that's not our goal. Okay, that may be a starting place, but we don't want to continue to exist there. Meaning what? You may not even need a full understanding, but it's often the first steps that a child, it's simple. A child can recognize I am a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. And there's only one. There's only one savior, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to help explain this, this is what Paul is doing. He appeals once again, as he oftentimes does, to the Old Testament. So he quotes Moses. Here he quotes, in this particular context, he quotes uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And he's speaking about the righteousness that is based on the law, and, and he's contrasting it with righteousness that is based on faith. He actually quotes Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 5. The one who does these things will live by them. Speaking in reference to the law. Matter of fact, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul uses in, in Galatians in chapter 3 verse 12. So what, what he's basically saying is this. If a person could live, if a person could keep, if a person could obey every single minutia, every bit of the law, they would be righteous. But what? We can't. It's impossible. So regardless of how righteous we are, it's not going to be enough. Therefore, the righteousness based on faith is different. Actually, Paul is, he is what? He is the defense attorney presenting the case he is going to present the case that righteousness that is based on faith is better. It's better than any other kind of righteousness based on works. And so that's where, in a sense, the right understanding in our minds has got to take place. He, in a sense, is saying there's a higher authority here. It's not what you can do. It's not what you can say. Remember back to the potter and the clay. The emphasis is on the potter. This is about the potter. So don't ever begin to say as what we tend to do. I tend to do. Oh, that person right there. Oh, they must. They must be going to heaven based upon what we have seen or witnessed based upon their works or what? Yeah, that person, no chance. That person will never make it to heaven. Definitely a sinner. But we're not to do that. Instead, we are to look away from the works of an individual to whom? To Christ. To Christ who provides. Note that as Paul quotes from portions of the Old Testament, particularly Deuteronomy chapters 28, 29, and 30. He is reading it just like we need to always read the Old Testament. He's reading it in light of the New Covenants, of the New Testament. He's reading it in view of the whole storyline of Scripture. So as Paul's teaching, quoting the Old Testament, he sees what? And he includes the fact that Christ has fulfilled the law. Jesus died on behalf of us. Jesus took the curse for us. Jesus gave life and blessing 
to us. Paul is reading the Bible from a Christ-centered perspective, just as we should. Therefore, he says, do not say, do not say in your heart who will ascend, who will descend, because that's, that's you playing Christ. Remember, God bestows his saving riches as the latter part of the bookend of this text says on everyone, all who believes, both Jew and Greek. Matter of fact, it's actually repeated twice. Anyone, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Both, both what? Verse 9 and 13 use this phrase, will be saved, will be saved, saved from guilt, saved from wrath which is our eternal salvation, of which Christ is the author. Salvation is not by any works of man, but by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where the understanding, we've got to become proficient in this when we talk about the work of the gospel. Notice, well, the final quotes in verse 13. We just read it. It comes from Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Paul's, Paul's take is that Joel's reference to Yahweh, Paul is now using a specific reference to Jesus, which talks about there's this understanding of, of proper soteriology. That's our goal here, proper view of salvation. A proper view of soteriology is salvation through faith alone, but he also points it to proper Christology, that salvation is through Christ alone. So the first ingredient, we've got to begin to wrap our minds around the basis of our salvation. When anything comes along, anyone comes along that there is salvation in anyone else, that's where we stand up and say, nope, sorry, that's not it, that's not it. Get it in our minds, get it through our minds. And when we really get it, I think it's encouraging to us. I think in all honesty, it refreshes us. It releases us from this constant sense of burden, of worry, of what I must do, what I must do, what I must do. Focus on what Christ has done. Not only do we need the ingredients of understanding in our minds, but secondly, we must. There must be a confession with your mouth. Some people are like... <gasps> There has to be at some level. What other ingredient? What else must be present? What, what, must, what must take place? Again, Paul appeals to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 30, and it's a quote from verse 14. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. The word... Matter of fact, Paul repeats it and he refers to it as the word of faith. What could this be a reference to? Well, this is a clear, direct, short, straight line to what is the word? What is the word of faith to the gospel? And it says very specifically, this word of faith that we proclaim. The word is what? Caruso. That we preach. We're like, wait a minute, but, but 
the gospel message wasn't present in Deuteronomy in the sense like there was no Jesus at that point in the storyline, in the context, the subject that bubbled. Like, like we don't read the story of Jesus being crucified on the cross and buried and rose again. from the, so, so how is that? We see Jesus all the way through the Old Testament. The word so that we proclaim means to publicly proclaim a message. I don't think that necessarily means that every single person now, if you're to be saved, you have to stand up here and preach. That's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying. No confusion on that. But at some level, there has to be some kind of words that are enunciated out of your mouth. We oftentimes use what the example of the thief on the cross. Okay, he wasn't baptized. Did he go to heaven like he wasn't baptized? So those people believe in baptismal regeneration. A thief on a cross obviously didn't make it. Works by faith? No, there was one thing that he did. There's one thing. And he proclaimed faith in the Savior, the Messiah who was being crucified next to him. We always read the Old Testament in view of the New Testament. Here it is. If you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. This is clear and certain evidence of salvation. Therefore, I believe we have to give great care and attention specifically to what we profess. Not just certain evidence, but very important with, with great accuracy, what is it that we're proclaiming? Because there can automatically be a sense of, of confusion. Like, I, I'm a Christian and I, and I believe this. I, I, I believe in God. Hey, so does Satan. Okay, you're going to have to take a little bit further. I, I, I believe in Jesus. So do the demons. We got, we got to take it a little bit further. At some level, it's not like as we confess this, well, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. So do the Mormons. Okay? So do the Jehovah's Witnesses. So at some level, we have to make sure that there's not a, a cloud of confusion, but a sense of clarity. We understand the importance of specifics regarding the word of faith. That's why, come full circle, that's why this moment right here is so important. What we do, what we gather here to sit under the preaching of the Word of God, that's why this teaching time is imperative. That's why what you're reading on a daily basis, you can't read once a week, twice a week, once a month. How are you going to learn what to, what to confess? That's why studying, it actually refers to it as ingesting or chewing on. Mar let's stay with our cooking. Let's marinate on this. Let's put it here and just let it soak over the truth. That's why asking questions. That's why Sunday school, half the group exits. Apparently, because most of you must already understand every part of the Word of God. No, no, great effort, great effort is made to sit under the teaching and then do one of these. Like, excuse me, like, I don't understand that. Help me understand this. 
That's what we're talking about because we have to know what we are to confess. And remember, remember as well, when we, we confess something, we affirm something as, as true, there is, there is oftentimes the exact opposite of what is actually happening. When you have an affirmation of something, there's also a denial of something else. For example, when we confess that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the Savior of the world, you realize what you're doing, you are denying the fact that there is salvation in anyone else. Anyone else who claims that they are the means to heaven? You're confessing the fact that what? This is true, therefore this is a denial. We deny false doctrine. That's, that's why, uh, if you go back a little bit, that's why creeds and confessions are so important. That there is a clear, simple tool of kind of how to summarize what is it we believe. I was standing before a group of football players just, just last Saturday at the university. And I said, this is a, this is a big book here. Okay, and I've been studying this book for years. I still, I'm still learning. And oftentimes I use Galatians chapter 5. Five words in Galatians chapter 5. How do we summarize this? Christ has freed us. Christ has freed us from death. That's in a summary. There's confessions. Belgic confession. The Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, some of these basic ones that oftentimes we, we learn what we affirm and what we deny through questions and answers. If I were to ask you, who is Jesus? There can be a really broad smattering, whereas what? A summary statement, who, who, who's the Redeemer? Like, who is this one? Who is the Redeemer of God's elect? This minister, short of catechism, says what in question 21? Who is the redeemer of God's elect? The only redeemer, this is the answer, the only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal son of God, became man and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. In a statement, we begin to confess with accuracy what we believe. This is so important. What do we do when we baptize someone? If, if we're standing, what, shivering in the river or here in a draining baptistry, what do we do? There's a, there's a question and there's a verbal response, an audible response. I can't say it for you. Have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? You receive him as your own savior and submit to him as Lord of your life. And there's what? And there's this pause. I can't do anything, but you have to confess. That's with your mouth. That's, that's what it happens. What, what is, how do we, how do we come into covenant relationship through membership? You don't kind of like slide in the back door. Yeah, my grandpa was a member here. No, it doesn't work like that. You, you sit, even if it's across the table with one or two elders. And you're to confess, this is how I came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. That's what we do to covenant together. When we receive members 
and they stand up here and we like talk a little bit, we're what? They're confessing the covenant matches what you as a member already have covenant to. And there's what? A confession with mouth that takes place. Do you see why it's so important to teach for you to know what we believe, why we believe it? New ministry pops up in town somewhere. What is the first thing that we do? We go to a little section on the website. What do we believe? What do we believe? Does it align or does it not align? There's a confession that automatically takes place. Now, that does not mean that you have to be aware of every single tiny bit of our particular doctrine. Hopefully, you're, you're growing towards that. You may not know every single bit of eschatology that Bigwood's Bible Church, but, but that's something that we can grow towards because what the Lord is doing in future times. But I tell you what, there has to be at some level a, a, a basic understanding of the major doctrines. The virgin birth, we know we will celebrate. We're going to put lights up about this little baby, okay, because this is important. Mary never knew a man. Okay, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, God incarnate in the flesh of a man. Lowered himself, humbled himself to become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We know that he was completely sinless. Therefore, we believe and teach the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Mormons don't. Any doctrine that denies the deity of Christ, automatically there's a distance there. It's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, not of works. That's what Catholic doctrine says. You better do this. And so we have to acknowledge what we believe when it comes to scriptures, that this is not like great story for us. This is God-breathed, perfect, the very foundation of everything that we teach. Closed hand, we call them closed hand doctrines that we cannot budge on that we have to have an understanding and we confess that I am a sinner in need of a Savior and there's only one, that is the Lord Jesus Christ who is sinless, came to earth, died on the cross to take the full wrath of His Father, freeing us from that. Put our faith and our trust, we, we offer our life into His care. That we desire Him follow him we obey him we push the covers off on a rainy sunday morning to come because we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together we're to study to show ourselves approved unto god we offer our bodies a living sacrifice these are basic ingredients we know there's understanding in our minds. There's confession with your mouth. What is there? There's belief in our heart, thirdly and finally. Notice the focus is not on the zeal here. It's not, it's not dependent on how zealous you are or the degree of one's faith, but rather it's on the object of one's faith. We are saved by faith in what? In someone. In the Messiah, this is belief that must be absorbed. Belief equals what? When something is deep with inside of us, it is a conviction that leads to... What does a conviction do? It leads to how we live our life. A conviction leads to what we do and what we do not do. 
It leads to how one chooses to live his or her life in obedience and accordance to the word. Matthew Henry says it well, with the heart man believeth, which implies more than an assent of understanding and takes in the consent of the will in inward, hearty, sincere, and strong consent. And let's remember as well, we keep in focus, this is mind, mouth, and heart about righteousness, and it's a righteousness that is based on faith. This is the righteousness of our justification that we've been learning about. This is the righteousness of our sanctification. And it's faith in both of these. Faith is the condition of our justification, and faith is the root of our sanctification. And what I find is interesting in closing is this, to note that faith, okay, belief, is, is very specific. It's not just faith in like anything. It's very specific. And also it's faith that has a very high bar. Not only are we to have faith, which is enough to confess and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, but we are also to believe that God raised him from the dead. Okay, this is faith that is like ratcheted up several notches. This is this demands faith in the impossible. Why? Because dead people don't come to life. Right? So our faith has a really high bar here. We're gonna we're gonna have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who what? Who had had people that were blind and now they see. I believe that. Yeah. But that doesn't like work with science. God, God is above laws. God defies laws. God defies the odds. And when we have what a high bar of faith, this is a belief that, that we know it leads to uh, victory. We know how the story ends. It leads to a sense of hope. And joy and peace and forgiveness. It leads to increased faith and resilience. It leads to increased boldness and bravery. Greater sacrifice. Greater joy. At a funeral the other day, it was freezing cold. And I had a, a jacket and a tie. And I had a long black trench coat on. And I was in a store. I had to get something en route. And a guy was standing there next to me and he looks at me in my long trench coat and he says, you know, that's trademark. And I'm like, yeah, excuse me, your trademark? He's like, yeah, trademark, FBI. He said, I spent 40 years in the FBI. And I saw your coat and I thought, trademark, FBI. And I was like, you thought I was maybe like FBI. He goes, well... I thought you were FBI until I saw your face. And I said, it's the smile. And he, no joke, no joke. He said, never trust anyone who smiles so much. And he just walked away. And I'm like, excuse me, joy of the Lord, Holy Spirit maybe. Like, I like to smile because there's a lot to smile about. I know I'm on my way to a funeral, but I know where that person's going.
you get the idea that this faith, high bar of faith, leads us to live different. It gives to us an increased sense of boldness, of bravery, of sacrifice, missions. I just think last week of this dear couple. Remember Eric and, and Jalen? Like he could just ride easily into the sunset with a cushy pastorate in Virginia. And what is he doing? What, what are they doing as a couple? They're packing their bags. They're leaving their children and their grandchildren to move to the Philippines. Look at the globe. Look how far away. Why? Because they have a high bar of faith. And there's something inside of them that says, we have to tell. We have to tell that. We, we look at the news and we see disaster after disaster after disaster. I've been so encouraged with Brian and Rachel Monti with their connection with Samaritan's Purse. My son has been in areas, our son has been in areas. He said, when it gets really dicey, Dad, everybody's leaving and the only planes that are coming in have Samaritan's Purse written on them. Why? Because the high bar of faith. When the rest of the world is terrified, can't believe it. This really looks bad. No, no, no. Christians move with a sense of grace and calm in the midst of that. Local church, just look at this local church that God is so graciously. When most people spend on themselves and gorge themselves, I know friends and neighbors whose garages are overflowing with junk toys. They're renting extra storage space to hold them. When everyone else says, just gorge yourself on more, what does the church do? I just need to give. I just need to give. Like, I have two. I don't need two. Here's one. That's, that's what we do. The belief in our heart moves us to conviction. To serve. Oh my goodness. The opportunities that we have to serve before us. And yet less than one third of people who call themselves regular something of big woods. Just get up and walk out. One third are actually serving faithfully. Well, I don't know if I can do it. No, you're breathing oxygen. You qualify. You have a faith in the full finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You qualify. Talk to someone and stop what? Stop just ingesting and gorging yourself and walking out again. That's not healthy. That's not what our belief is. Belief moves to conviction. We just live different grace. When, when, when people have been hurt in this world, what do they want? I want revenge. And they will just sit on it and they will stew on that. I will get vengeance. And my life is going to be focused on getting even with that person who did me wrong, who hurt me. What does a Christian do? What does one who has belief moves to conviction that says, you know what? We actually offer forgiveness. Yeah, it was a horrible thing that they said. It was a horrible, horrible thing that they did. Because Christ has forgiven me, I can forgive others. And we extend mercy. That's what we do. Do you see how powerful and influential your belief is? 
the effect and the impact that your belief has on other people? Don't ever for a moment, don't ever for a moment believe the lie that says, this is, this is just my personal faith. I just kind of hold this to myself. I don't want to infringe my, my faith on other people. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And do you realize that that is one of the most uncaring, unloving things that you could ever do? It's a personal thing. It's just between me and God. No, that is insensitive. That is uncaring. I would say that's cruel. You have good news to offer the world? Personal matter. No, your neighbor could die tomorrow and, and they could go to a Christless eternity and you have yet to invite them over to your house because, well, it's a little dusty. Doesn't matter if your house is a little dusty. You have the opportunity to offer to them the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you care for others, you help them. You answer their questions. You, you stay long if need be and you warn them and you love them and you guide them the basic ingredients of what exists. We hold to the teaching of Scripture, specifically to what the Apostle Paul is writing right here in the book of Romans. Reading the righteousness we need to know that it's based in faith. So, so this morning, just kind of like do a little like check, okay? You know, before you serve the meal, you kind of like read, like did I, did I put all the ingredients in that I was supposed to? Is there an understanding in your mind? You don't have to know everything, but are you seeking to grow and learn and to stretch? I got a busy lunch. I can't learn anymore. My job is to warn you, gang. That's dangerous thinking. Dangerous thinking. Is there an understanding in your mind? Is there a confession with your mouth? Are you proclaiming yeah, but I'm not very articulate. You don't have to be, okay? You believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you have surrendered your life to Him as the only Savior, Messiah of the world. You desire to live in obedience. Then share that. Something's got to come out. I think, I think sometimes the most powerful testimonies are the ones that are kind of stumbling and, and bumbling through because it's just sincerity that matters. Is there confession with your mouth? And it has been demonstrated, has it been demonstrated with a belief in your heart, demonstrating a faith that leads to a conviction to live different than the rest of the world lives. That's what our faith is. Are those things present? Tony Merida says this, while some Christians lack the heart of an evangelist, some lack the theological conviction. He says we need both. We need both. My prayer you know the light thing? I, I get a kick out of the light thing. That is just a great opportunity to just like have bright lights to say this is a group of people who live totally different than the rest of the world lives. If nothing else, then we've accomplished that. The ingredients of our faith. Understanding in our mind, confession with our mouth, belief in our hearts. May that be us. Father, we love you. We are amazed at your patience with us that we are still alive. Now we need your strength and your faith and our obedience to live and serve you. May we do that. In your name we pray. Amen.